Hi there, my name is Hannah Sheremy. This is the What is Fromcast podcast on the Podcastica Network. Welcome to the show. My name is Alex. And I'm Lizzie. And today we are back and better than ever. This is what is from cast. And we are going back way back to the beginning of time. And we are going to be talking about episode one, season one, the long day's journeys night. And I still remember that first meeting that we had talking about this, and I still can't believe that we are talking about it into Again. season three. Into yeah. season three. Yeah. You know, it's just pretty amazing. But before we get to everything, I just wanted to tell the listeners, if you guys are watching this on YouTube or you're watching this on our normal uh, podcast, Hit the subscribe button. We'd love to get your feedback on that, as well as we are having a goal to get to 500 subscribers on our YouTube channel, and we're in four and change, so every subscriber counts, and the time that we are watching this or you're listening to this is on Sunday because we are on Sundays for the next 20 weeks. Folks, enjoy the ride, but before you do that, I just want to show off our from Elite t-shirt and we've got mugs and hats and all sorts of stuff on our from shop and that's also in the show notes as well as our etsy uh shop as well so if you want to shop etsy it's just what is from shop so lizzie a long day's journey's night and tonight into long day's journey in tonight What are your first thoughts on this rewatch? Because, folks, we are still trying to figure out how we're doing this rewatch. She has a great idea. I'm still trying to figure it out. This is just so you got. I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, we've already done. Oh, I know I meant to message you, text you before this, but my first thoughts are I was surprised at how fresh it seemed to me. I don't know how many times I've seen that episode at this point, but right. watching it again, going in, believing what I believe, looking for what I'm looking for, and looking at it with fresh eyes, it was pretty exciting. Really exciting, actually. I am... Um, I know it's full. I guess I have a bunch of thoughts. I just feel like the entire thing is just stunning. It's it's a tapestry. Yeah, there's so much groundwork laid in this first episode, and you know, looking at people that are now dead and the scariness of it all. Just loved it. Loved it. I love it. I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna tell you right now. Folks, I do not like scary stuff. I've said I don't that. either. I just write and this has to be, without a doubt, one of the scariest episodes 
of TV I've ever seen. Now that's saying that doesn't say much because I haven't seen a lot of TV <laughs> that is scary. But in terms of the gruesomeness, it doesn't get any more gruesome than this. Than Megan and Lauren. But before we get into that, I, I, obviously we are going to. This is a spoiler, not spoiler free. This is all about spoilers. We are not going to be trying to jump too far ahead in terms of what's going to happen in season two, season three. But at the same time, we're going to try to stay within this episode and how it kind of looks in the whole big frumbly well, world. Just and I'm going to yeah. Just to be clear, we cannot say anything about season three because we know nothing. about. Absolutely. And that's the but, one thing that I love that everybody keeps asking us. What about season three? What about season three? You know what? Don't They're know. still writing it. They're in the, at the time of this podcast, they are on site and it is snowing there probably in Canada and they are freezing their little pajungas off and they're coming up with some great ideas and we can't wait to see it. But the reason for this podcast or this rewatch is to kind of get people really pumped up about the show because if you do the math right, it's probably going to be that 20 weeks is where we're going to be to the hopefully season premiere of season three. We have no idea when it is. No, just I'm just saying. Clear. No, I'm yeah. just saying we have no idea. But, you know, looking at the show, I went in with this lens. We know certain things about the show. And right. we've talked about it along the way, you know, trying to think about what we remember about the earlier episodes so i went in knowing i know a lot of stuff about the show but i have questions ideas and thoughts and an open mind to look for patterns look for clues form some theories along the way and that's how i took my notes Absolutely. Absolutely. That said, let's get into it. And one of the things that I love about the show is their use of the cold open. Right. I thought, you know, for a new show, I thought the cold open was kind of involved. We go through a few different scenes. We start I'm going back to the beginning of my notes. We yeah. start where Boyd is ringing the bell. It sets the tone for this series. Who walks around a town ringing the bell? And he starts out, he's coming down the street with the church on his left. And he's walking along the street. And from there, you can see two houses on the left. And you see one house on the right. And the house on the right, that was Sarah and Nathan's house. So we keep walking the diner is next. You see the motel. You see the house that the Pratts lived in, Frank, Lauren, and Megan. And then the Matthews family ends up moving in there. Do I have that right? No, that's not right. No. They're not on the other side. Oh, are they? Oh, I'm all confused. <laughs> I don't know where anything is anymore. But, oh, because it goes the diner. It goes, it, you know what? I Oh, wait a minute. I have a map. We I have the map. map. Yes. I a map. There was a couple of maps out, maps out there. Yeah. I just drew my own map. So it's the church, 
Yellow House, Blue House, Motel. And then Yellow House on the other side, the diner. Then the Pratt House, the playground, the sheriff. And then there's the street right here that goes to Colony House, which right. I had never noticed before. And then I got to move my finger to the right way. And that's the gas station slash bar. Right. So the cold open starts with Boyd walking down the street. Then it goes to Sarah at the diner. And, and I, I do want to talk about that for a second because, yeah. you know, everybody is just a law. It's time to go. And what I love about what Sarah does is she's just taking the food. Nobody's paying. And well, it's what, they, no, but my point being is doing the rewatch, you're like, oh, yeah, nobody's paying. We know why now. But looking at it, you're like, okay, that's kind of strange. And then the one thing that they, that she does along with all the other people that are in the houses, they all touch the talisman, but at the same time, and at the time you're like, okay, what is this rock on the wall? Right. And and I want to say it like that because I know when I first saw it, I'm like, okay, what's the deal with this frigging rock? No, no idea what a talisman (laughs) was. And that's why it it would be like, it creates that God, what is this all about? Because you don't know what the show is about. Right. You still don't know. And then they show Boyd uh, or Sheriff Boyd and he's looking around and he's talking to this little girl at the time. Oh, it's can I have five more minutes? And it can't look any more wholesome. But yet looking back at it, first off, all the houses are disheveled. They all need a coat of paint on them. Yeah, they more more or less they haven't been because like even when. Later on, when the neighbors or the inhabitants are standing in the front yard at the Pratt house, did you look at the lawn? It's not mowed. Oh, yeah. You know, no, there's no mowing going on. Crabgrass. I'm like, my God, that looks like my front lawn right now. <laughs> and the other thing is when they pulled out the shot, you see this car in a pool with a hotel sign that's all disheveled. But the thing about the car was, okay, fine. It's in the pool. That's first yeah. bizarre thing, but it's been there for a while. It's all it's rusted. Been there for a while, there's and, no and water. It, yeah, it's just there's no water. The, the 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 diving board's cut in half. I mean, it's cut. I mean, yeah. this is just what is going on. Where, yeah, like where are we? You know, it, there's just so many warning signs going off in your head as you're walking down the street with Boyd, Sarah hustles the people out of the restaurant out of the diner and Megan is having a good time on the swing I mean how many times did you ask your mom or dad can I have five more minutes of course the sun is setting they know you're in the yard but your parents are like no you've got to come in and take a bath you have school tomorrow or something like that whatever yeah whatever but I mean gosh I just wanted to stay up and watch the big circus. I hated the big circus, but I wanted to watch it anyway. Then we cut to Kenny playing check, not checkers, chess with his father. And the father wins. And I think Kenny lets him win. And just Christy comes in and she gets, you know, talks to Mr. Lou. Gina takes him downstairs into the lower floor. And then, Kenny and Christy talk about his father outside and then she goes in and they have that little moment where yeah. he's um all 
you know, puppy eyed oh, and sucks, man. <laughs> I know. And yeah. we're like, who is this dude with the uh, uniform? With the pants on her too short. And um, then she's got her little EMT. It says EMT on the front, and it says paramedic on the side. So it's like, what are you? Cover all the bases and, and does it all. But that particular scene is not controversial, but it has one of the most controversial images of the whole show, which is the medical facility versus is at the school. Is at the like, school. Okay, wait, what like, is going on okay. here? Yeah, like, like yeah. The, the clinic the, is the school. And I was going to talk about that, too, because the clinic is a school. The post office is a sheriff's office. Yeah, we didn't get there yet. The station is a bar. There's all these things that have been adapted. She goes in. Sarah's the first one to do the talisman. Right. And then Christy is the next one to do the talismans, talisman touch. So then... Kenny touches base with Boyd, who's standing on the colony road with binoculars. Right. Now, he's like kind of oh, being a little creepy. Exactly. We don't know what's going on. And there's like Creeper Creeperson standing there watching people go into the house. We don't realize at the time that he's watching his son carry his girlfriend into the colony house. But that's who it is. But or that it's even, you know, Boyd is a father. But. Now that we know Boyd is looking out for his child, he just wants to make sure that his child is okay. But again, so, why is the sheriff looking at all these creepy people? And what I mean by that, no, but just, no, but what I mean by that is not creepy people, but he's like, why is he like having this distance and not going up there if he's the sheriff? I'm saying as the newcomer looking in, that's what you're yeah, thinking. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. You don't realize that you've got to be inside yeah. by you know, a certain time. So then he goes into the sheriff's office and he just kind of touches the talisman as he walks in type thing and locks the door. And then next. I I love the fact that the sign says 90, 96 days without an incident. Oh yeah. And it's like, they kind of focus in on in on that. Well, you need to take note of that 96 nights. And then we go over to the Pratt house and Lauren is closing up shop, touches the talisman, and Megan is upstairs getting ready for bed. And I was looking around. She has the rocking horse in her room. Okay. Remember, we see that down in the tunnels. Okay. So that was one thing, because... When I noticed, I didn't notice the rocking horse until I did my second watch. And I was like, oh, my God, is the dummy there? That was my next question. But I didn't recognize, like, she just had dolls, you know, lined up on a bench and stuff like that. I didn't see the dummy. It was just other dolls. And I don't remember seeing any of those dolls in the tunnels in season two. But. What I did notice, because I kept having to put things on pause for a while because I'm writing notes and, you know, the whole thing. She's got crayon pictures on the wall. As well. Yes. Yeah. And I think there were four total. They don't focus in on them. And I couldn't get a good read on some of them. I know there was one big one or one where the face was bigger and you could tell it was a person, but you know, no idea who that was. And then the, there were two pictures near it 
where there seemed to be a bunch of different things. They could have been figures. They could have been anything, Christmas ornaments, who knows? And then there was one on the other side of the window. So those were the things that I noticed in Megan's room. But the, the, the rock- one thing I, the, yeah, the rocking horse. But the other thing is, you know, she has to go say her prayers. And it's a famous prayer. We've probably all said it once in our life. I you still know. say it once in a while. You know, <laughs> now they me down to sleep. And you could probably sing the whole thing. Yeah. And, and then there's this knock on the door, on the oh, window, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, okay, first off, a couple of things that I have a problem with. Hello, there's this little old lady on the second floor. Yeah, how'd she get up there? How'd she get up there? But Two, Megan's not going to... Megan's not necessarily going to think about that, but Megan's mesmerized by this woman. And she also knows it's not her. Yeah. She knows it's not her grandmother. And I just love the look on Megan's face. She just did so well, you know, standing there and, you know, I can't help it. I miss being on set. I haven't been called back yet, but you know, I can just picture them filming that and, you know, there's no one out there. There's someone saying the lines of the grandmother at some point, I'm sure. And, you know, cause she's just in her room. She doesn't turn around and look at the window. She's just like, uh, you know, I can't even remember what she said, but she's saying her line. She was just really, she played a little girl very well. How's that? <laughs> I, I think what's kind of interesting is that the mom is no, and then it cuts to the opening. Yeah, And that opening, and I do want to talk about the opening because we've got, and I like to call it Pixies in Picture, you know, you've got the drawings and then you've got the eerie Music. song. Yeah. And, and one thing that I can't, you know, we were really lucky to get Victor, Scott McCord, on because he kind of shed some light on who sang the song and a little bit about it. One of the things that I find really fascinating about this is they changed the lyrics just a tinge and they had to, but it's just kind of interesting. And I want to just punch this up if I can. I want to see if I can punch it up. Did you find the version by the Pixies? I found both versions. I I found both versions. I mean, I've, I've sang that song for a long time. Yeah, that's the one I have in my notes. But I had the Doris Day version on my iPod, you know, back in the day. And I would sing that song. I mean, it's like an old standard. um, But this is the thing about the song. First off, because it's a guy, he says, when I was a little boy. All right. Yeah. I mean, that always changes with who's singing the song. But that's not the second verse is where it gets really kind of interesting. Because the second verse is completely different than the second verse of Doris Day's version. And no. I think it uh Or when I grow up and have children of my own. Yeah. Now I have children of my own. They ask their father, What will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? I just think that this has a pretty good underlying tone to the series. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I just find it really fascinating, really reading the words and the eeriness of it and the way it's played. I think it, it's, it really lends itself 
to the way this show is going to be going. Because the question is, is it Victor? Is it Boyd? Is it, you know... Who's the who, little boy? Who's the little boy? Or who? Or is it is the little boy just insert person? That's what I think it is. I was planning on talking about this when we got to the music section because... Oh, I'm sorry. I just am yeah. kind of going through it all. So yeah, no. I mean, okay. I mean, we could. Okay, it, you can see the okay? cohesion. It, you yeah. can see the cohesion that we have right now, and that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. We normally we plan out where we're going, or at least have a loose idea of where we're going. But honestly, I was going until the last minute with all. It's okay, of it. but no, good. But, yeah. But then right after that, they cut right to the Matthews. Yeah, that's where they start. I do have it kind of like blow by blow, but okay. I kind of mixed things up a little bit. I mean, do you where have do you want to go like that? I'm sorry. I'll go wherever you want to go. But did you write it down like that? I wrote it down the way the, the show. The way it flowed. Let's go with yeah. that. Let's okay. go with that. So yeah, so they're driving and um they're on their family trip and they're in an RV and um they're on the highway. We see them on a highway. They take an off-ramp and then they're on side roads and then they turn up in the wooded heavily wooded roads and they're driving along. And Julie and Ethan are you know, in the back of the RV at the table. And Julie is telling Ethan a story with two little finger puppets that are Ethan's toys. And she's talking about Norman being killed and that the secret fairies are coming and there's the lake of tears. And then she just kills Norman. And understandably, Ethan gets upset. And, you know, the parents kind of step in and Tabitha comes back and talks to him about it. And, you know, there's some things that I wanted to talk about in regards to that. Go ahead. So I do have a section of foreshadowing. And around the, a lot of it takes place around the Matthews family. So the first thing that comes up is the Lake of Tears. Do you know what I'm going to connect with that? Please go. I can't wait to hear it. Elgin. Yeah. Remember he asked if there was like a pond or something, if there was some water. What if, and and we've been speculating about the Cromenacle story being the story of this whole place, that all of this is just taking place in Ethan's storybook. But what if the Lake of Tears is that body of water where everyone goes swimming? I, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember what they call it right now. But what if that's it? But before Julie gets up and walks away after she kills Norman, she says, she says to Ethan, sometimes life is hard, kid. Now, We know that they're all going through some, you know, recovering from, you know, the trauma of the death of a child in the family. 
And every one of them is handling it differently. And Julie's kind of acting out, you know, she's tormenting Ethan and she's saying sometimes life is hard, kid. And that's that, right? No, she's being an annoying older sister. That's part of it, too. I think that's a lot of it. But yes. Yeah. But I'm with you. I'm with you. Because as a younger sibling, I can totally see where that was going. And I'm like, you're a little jerk. Yeah, that happens. But then she says to him, when you're gone. When you're dead, you're gone. She says that to him. So then Tabitha comes back and she tries to soothe him. And she says to him, there's no such thing thing as as monsters. monsters. Norman is still alive. So we know where they're going and that there definitely is monsters. Julie is saying, when you're dead, you're gone. And, you know, which is what happened to Norman. But then Tabitha turns around and says, Norman is still alive. There's that. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. So those, that's the foreshadowing that I've got at that moment. What's next? So, So then after that, hold on one second. After that, everything is fine. All of a sudden... Sheriff Boyd sees his favorite person in the whole world, Frank. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. That's not true. No. It's well, the yeah, next no. morning. It's the next morning. And, morning. Yeah. And, and Frank comes, decides to go home. Yeah. And everybody's around his house. Like, yeah. And he, ba- he bitch slaps him like he was Chris bam, Rock. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, it was like Chris Rock and, and Will Smith. Oh, and then I he really pulls him think about that again. And then he pulls him up the stairs and starts yelling at him again. And yeah. he they says, drag, "Drags him all the ways up into the bedroom." And he says, "A really, I love this line. A man protects his family, Frank. A man yeah. protects his family. Now, this is the thing I I have an issue with. Yeah, I understand he's a drunk, and I understand he's not exactly the best." person in the world but the mom has something to to accountability here why the hell didn't she nail the windows shut she could have but what if boyd only told frank and the thing about it is that frank was not a drunk before they got there frank became a drunk when they got there in dealing with that So the thing about this show is that, or in this episode, they do some exposition. And what they do is they show what happens when the rules are not followed. True. So Frank comes home, comes home to the town standing outside of his house. Boyd lays out the rules, nail the window shut, man protects his family, you're going to view those bodies and then you're going to get locked up. And that's what happens, right? So then the next thing is Kotri comes in and he handles the, you know, the bodies and the burial of the bodies. Okay. So they show us this is what happens when rules are not followed. And we and know lo- that there's more. Yeah. No, I love that after he does what he does. He's they're all yours, father, and just yeah. walks away because yeah. it, it, it's 
He's it, done it his really part. Is. He's done his part, and away we go. But yeah. after that whole entire scene, they set it up really well. And this is the crux of the whole show right here, because there is one thing that everybody sees when they come to this land. Hold on, because we're not there yet. Because what happens okay. is, let's see, I'm trying to get there. All right, Jim and Tabitha, we go back to the RV. That's and, what I'm talking about, yeah. yeah I okay. know. Jim and Tabitha are talking. Yes. And Jim says, hey, remember when I first met your parents, I had this 83 Volvo. Right. And we're starting to see... The the point of this conversation is we're starting to see the difference between the two people. Now, he's saying, you know, the thing was, like, broken down, you know, f- you know, Fred Flintstone kind of breaks. Like, the thing was really a piece of crap. And he said it was a champ. To him, the thing could, like, plow through snow, you know, like, 10-foot drifts or whatever. The thing right. was a champ. She called it a death trap. So you're seeing that they have two different ways that they're looking at the world. He's like, everything's good. She's looking at everything is bad. And nothing's happened to them yet other than the death of their child. But that's where they are at this point in time. So then... He says, sometimes I remember what it was like before. And so it's that hint that before what? Because they haven't gotten to the town yet. So what is that before? There is something that has happened to this family where they have a before and an after. Exactly. We're going to find out. So the next thing is they're continuing on and we get the steps to how somebody arrives in town. Julie's lying on the couch and she is, you know, she's on her phone. She's got her earbuds in and there's a moment, there's a look on her face when if you're watching, you can tell she's lost internet. She's lost her connection. That moment. Right. So it starts there. Then there's the tree in the road. They come to the tree in the road. Then there's the crows. Then there's no sign to the highway. Then they drive into the town. The people become aware that there's new people coming. Boyd assesses and gives false directions. Right. And then they pass over the tracks. And then. Let's see. Oh, shoot. There's another part where they definitely don't have Internet, but the Internet had gone out before, but then it obviously goes out. So they pass on over the tracks. Then there's no turns and they're back at the town again. And then they drive. I think they turn right around and go back the other way and they start rationalizing it and they start denying what is happening to them. And they end up back on in the town. And so Boyd and Kenny, you know, they're like, it's time now. So they put out the spike strip so that when they come back, they'll stop. And that's the point 
where there's no way out, when they put that spike strip down, whoever it is that's driving around is going to find out right then that there is no way out. What I found was really kind of interesting was when they were going round and round or even the first time, Ethan was like, all the tie. I mean, that the fact that he said well, it. Yeah. Is like all the tires are busted on all these cars. I, I yeah. don't think any kid would have ever noticed that, but I just think it wasn't a throwaway line. It was definitely a, a piece. No, and, it definitely was. Like he does say that all the cars have flats. And the welcoming committee just could not be any colder. <laughs> I mean, everybody is just, oh, yeah, no, we don't talk to you. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that was the instruction because. Oh, I know. It was just kind of funny. Boy <laughs> tells them, don't talk to them. Remember what it was like your first day. Other foreshadowing was Jim, you know, saying before all this. And then the flat tires by Ethan. And then Julie gets up. He's still sitting at the table watching it, you know, his iPad. And she's and they're talking about the crows. And she says, you know, they come into your room at night and they crawl into your sheets and they peck at your face and your eyes. And, you know, she terrifies him. And then I'm looking at her T-shirt and it's a bunny with a third eye. I know we've noticed it before, but you know, we're taking note of all these things. So if there's a third eye, you have to see what you can't physically see. And that's what that message is. There's more here than what you actually see. Continue. Now, while this is all going on, I'm going to jump back just a little bit, not not a little bit, but the sheriff, after after everybody after the the two people die, the sheriff wants to go up to the place that he was looking with the binoculars. And this is the first time we get to see your girlfriend, Donna. My BFF. Your BFF that you... My BFF, Donna. Did you see that picture of her on Instagram? It was... (laughs) Which one? The one that she looked fabulous in? Yes. Oh my God. I loved it. And then she had another one with her her boyfriend as well, but we're not going to talk about him just yet. Cause that's next oh. season. Yeah. So yeah. He, I, I love this interaction. Cause again, we're still in the, what the freak is going on moment. And she's um, out there planting. We get, we find out in that interaction between her and Boyd that she is the boss of colony house. We have an arrangement. I've come to see my son. Yeah. Well, it's all sorts of arrangements there, but we find out at that point that she runs Colony House, that she's in charge. What she says goes. If she says Boyd can't go in, Boyd is not going in. But for whatever reason, we don't know, you know, even in season two, we don't know the extent or how volatile it was when Boyd and Ellis parted. We just know that it had to do with Boyd shooting Abby and Ellis gets away from Boyd. And the only place he can go is to call. Right, he just decided. And, and when they introduce Ellis, I think it's just kind of, you know, this place is really kind of, I just keep thinking Woodstock. I don't know why, but well, uh, it is. it's kind of like that. It's like, not a free-for-all. It's just be yourself here. 
you know, be comfortable. And the only like light in this whole tunnel comes from the two pieces of eye candy that are Ellis and Fatima. And they have their little moment. And he, of course, says the right thing. You know, and I, I put it up on the screen here. You're like a poem. You make everything around to your beautiful, even this place. Yeah. And, and I think. Be. Yeah. And I think that there's something to be said for that because Fatima really is a ray of sunshine. I mean, she's it, it, right in this season. She is only, she has been the most uplifting person in the supportive person in the place. She's getting her picture painted by Alice in this really kind of, you know, sexy way. But what I find really interesting is when, you know, Boyd comes in, she like embraces him with open arms, Sheriff Stevens, you know, you need to come by more where moments before he was told, get get out. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. She, she doesn't have, between her and him, what Ellis and Boyd have. Of course. And she doesn't she does not want to further drive that wedge between Wellis, Ellis and Boyd. But there were some things that of course I was noticing because I'm trying to find clues in everything. Ellis is doing charcoal drawings of Fatima. And there are charcoal drawings throughout that room, if you notice. Yes. Um, And he's got this medallion around his neck, and it looks like a fir tree, you know. When Boyd comes in, there's a lampshade. And I had to go back and compare the two because I thought they might be the same pattern. They're not. They just look like they're in the same family, in a sense. Right, uh, and I'm wondering what the purpose of this medallion could actually be, but the of course I'm like looking at the style of the artwork, and I'm like, I wonder if that's Jack Bender's work, you know? Yeah, so much of it. And if you look at the actual drawing, it is different from the way that Fatima was posing, because. In the drawing, it looks like she has like a bathing suit top or something on and the shirt is open, but where she's sitting and the rose is in a different position. But when she's sitting at the window, you know, she just has the shirt on and the rose is, you know, across her lap or whatever. And her arm is not up like this, you know, but that window, if I'm not mistaken, is the same window that. She shows the town to Julie through, but it's also where they get married. Oh, yeah, where they get married. So it is, you know, you're thinking about it, and that window represents some sense of hope in this story that, you know, good things can happen. It's not as it does not have to be as dark and dire, you know, as we see everything. The interesting thing, not the interesting thing, but, you know, Boyd is up there telling Ellis about what happened to Lauren and Megan and that, you know, he wants him to come to the funeral. And I think, you know, Ellis wants to, he just doesn't want anything to do with his dad. 
And yeah, I'm remembering absolutely. when the RV first stops and everyone turns to look, it was like a little scene out of a real horror movie where it just looked like everyone turned around at the same time and they just had this, you know, scary town look on their face at the strangers that were coming in. And, you know, Jim is even like, oh my, you know, I don't know if he said fuck, but he could have. He probably could have. <laughs> could have yeah. Should have. But yeah, we get our introduction to Donna and Fatima and Ellis through that little exchange. So then it's back to the RV where they're lost without the Wi-Fi signal. And let's see, they've gone through the town. Boyd says, you all remember what it was like for you. And then Boyd and Kenny handle it. And at that point, like this is the last time before they're stuck that they make the, they interact with Jim. Right. And just kind of send him on his way. But Nathan, Sarah, you know, the last time they come through, they're, they see Sarah and she's walking down the street and they ask her and she just keeps walking. I mean, Sarah, she was normal in the diner. She was normal. I, yeah. But that, like when she's walking down the street, it's like she became creepy at that point. And then she's creepy for the remainder. But so she gets to her house and Nathan's coming out. He's going to get, you know, go over to the barn and tend to the animals. And she comments about the new people. And I don't know. I know new people is not a creepy term, but it sure does sound like it when she says it. Yeah, she, she's got an agenda or some kind. Yeah, but we don't know that. Yet. No, I'm just saying. You know, I, I know. It, it's fun to look at her knowing what we know. You know, right. she, she's, she, the only time she doesn't really seem ill at ease is when she's working in the diner. She seems to be self-possessed there. And then when she's talking to Nathan, Anytime she's interacting with anybody else, it's kind of like she's a double agent that's not hiding it very well. The RV passes over the tracks a second time, and then Tabitha says it's like the switchback, which I hadn't heard that term before. And I did look it up in the dictionary, and it's talking about S turns and all that. And it's talking about getting back on another you make a u-turn to get back on track and stuff like that and they start fighting jim and tabitha because she says you're going too fast and he's i'm not going fast and then the scene is like he's driving and i'm like kind of looks like he's going fast they're just having a they're having a lovely family moment like a little marital spat right so then at one point he's, I'm going like 20 miles an hour, you know, and he's like crawling along and they're like looking for a sign. They're wondering if they've missed the turn off. And I'm just like, I mean, you've been lost in driving, right? There's a unwritten rule in our car when we get all crazy like that. It's all right, everybody be quiet or I'm turning this around. You know, you just have to break the. Uh, yeah, the tension, but yeah. 
along with all that tension, first the worst sister in the whole entire world has to scare the pajungas out of her poor little brother by talking about crows and how they're going to eat his eyes out and everything else. And wait, that's not the yeah. best part. The dictionary really screws with us on this one because it's true. Like yeah. a group of crows is a murder of crows. Yeah. And then wait. So to think of that being bad, okay, fine. But then the mom thinks, oh, this is even better because I'm going to give it to my daughter that it was really a bunch of ravens, which is a group of unkindness because (laughs) she's unkind. But when you think about it, it's all bad. It's not good. Yeah. Out of all the the groups that you could have thought of, ravens are not the freaking thing you want to be thinking about. You think about Edgar Allan Poe. No, I know. I'm just thinking like <laughs> it's, it's and, not and murder. It's not positive. Yeah, we are not dealing with exactly the the most sane groups. But you know, yeah. as they're doing it, I mean, I like to call this part. You know, the wheels going round and round. You know, the wheels on the RV going round, and they just keep yeah. getting more and more pissed. And everybody knows what's going on except for them. And then, you know, that's the worst part. Like when everyone knows and no one tells you, have you ever had that happen? You know, it's the story of my life. Yeah. Like everyone, like your boyfriend is cheating. Everyone knows, but no one tells you and you're walking around and then you find out and you're like, oh my God, I look like such an asshole all this time because everyone knew I was getting screwed over. But no one told me. And then you don't want to talk to any of your friends ever again. I've never had that happen, but okay. (laughs) Me either. Me either. (laughs) But at any rate, so this is their last trip into town and they've had it. So Jim like whips the RV around and then (laughs) Barrel Ass is out of there. Now he's driving fast. And then we see the Audi come over the you know, the horizon and that's Toby and Jade and Jim and Tabitha are kind of fighting. And all of a sudden that's because they're going to go head on into each other. I don't know what Toby was thinking. So this brings about the, the crash Toby and Jade go into a bunch of trees and we don't know if they actually saw the tree across the road. We don't know that. Right. And maybe that's why Toby was driving fast. He was just as frustrated. But no one knows that there was a second car at that point until Toby gets back and he meets up with Boyd and and Kenny at the spike strip. The RV goes off the side of the road down into a ditch and lands on its side. And... It was like I re- I did rewind it because I was trying to figure a few things out. But the stunt person for Julie, wham, on the other side, right? Yeah. Tabitha, and actually I broke this down. And because they are all in particular positions. And I want to talk about this. Okay. So Jim is in the driver's seat, right? And to me, I'm looking at it. I'm like, what is stopping him from just undoing his seatbelt? And there's just a tree and just sliding under it or going up. But Jim is awake and he's trapped. Right. 
and let me get through this because all of this relates. I'm not saying a word. Okay. Tabitha is unconscious and I'm just calling her loose. She's just floating in a sense because she's up against the door. It wouldn't matter if her seatbelt is on or not. Ethan, he's in and out of consciousness and he's yeah. impaled and stuck to something like right. the new floor, right? And then Julie, she's conscious, but she's loose as well. Jim knows that they've been through a family trauma. He wants to help his family, but he can't. He's trapped where he is. Tabitha, she's checked out, you know, like she will come up against this, but she is stuck at the loss of her child. And this comes up a couple times in the story or in this episode, but she's basically, she's checked out and she's stuck in her own way. Julie is now moving through life in pain. Like her little baby brother is dead and she, it's like she wants to torment Ethan almost to create a separation between the two of them because if something happens to Ethan, she won't feel it as much. Not her fault. Yep. <laughs> and that, you know, I mean, yeah, she's a teenager and she's going to be a little bit bratty, but I feel like she's got extra momentum because... Yeah, like I can see the poking here and there, but she just seems to be a little bit more antagonizing, more cruel than she really needs to be. But you could tell she's a good kid at heart, right? Yeah, no, I mean, she's going through her growing pains. I mean, but but she's also dealing with the death. This is how I mean, dealing with the death of this kid. And then there's Ethan. Ethan is stuck. He is stuck being a little kid. And learning about the world and not fully understanding what everything means. Like, what is death? You know, like, we know that the the parents, this is their last family trip before they get a divorce, but he doesn't know what's coming. Julie suspects it, but Ethan just doesn't know what's coming like he his world has already been uprooted by the death of his infant brother but they still have each other you know so now my life solidifies with these three other people and now you know he's just stuck he's stuck where he's at so that was my analysis of all of that and jim keeps reaching out to tabitha but he can't reach her Like his arm isn't long enough and he can't, like he can't touch her. And he keeps reaching out to her over and over. So that's what I had. And then the interesting thing too, is that who gets out first? Julie gets out and then Tabitha gets out. While Jim stays with Ethan until Christy comes. But anyway, let's return. Okay, so, <laughs> no, I, I know, I'm thinking about what you said, because we didn't talk about this before. And no, like, this was something that I think I it's fascinating. Today. Yeah, like, really funny is that if the writers never even thought about that, 
And well, they're like, oh my God. In your opinion, the writers have thought about everything because every little bit, like it, like this shirt, because the black represents something, right? <laughs> Death. It just remember yeah, it, no. that yeah, that bitch. angle, the angle of your lunchbox in the background is at a 45 degree angle, which is how old the lunchbox really is. And I'm, you know, <laughs> no, 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 no. no, but what's interesting <laughs> enough is I, I really think that's something that I don't think many people have actually talked about, which is the positioning of the people in that RV in the relationship where the positioning of them emotionally. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, But what I do want to jump ahead or back. Yeah, back to Toby. Yeah, exactly. It's like a head, but it's back. So so Toby gets to the hospital. Oh, wait a minute. He gets out of the car. Right. He gets out of the car and he meets Boyd. He gets out of the car and immediately throws up because he's got a head injury up here. Right. And it's like flip-flop. Oh, my God. I just hate flip-flops. But his flip-flop is on crooked. And he goes down and runs into Boyd and uh, Boyd and Kenny. And he's asking for help. And I think Boyd – I mean, Boyd and Kenny don't know exactly how many people are in that RV. They only saw the four. For all he knows, there could be two guys sitting in the back. Right. There could be a whole post of people. But no, he does know. He does know in the sense of because Kenny says to him, is that the guy from the car? He's no, he's with his family. Now, it's a good assumption. But at the same time. Yeah. So he ends up going. But then I I just want to jump to. But they say there's two hours of daylight left. Right. And they they weren't counting on this. And what I want to do is I want to kind of wrap up Toby for a second. He goes to the hospital and she takes care of him. And then he meets, you know, Dr. Kevorkian. And this is where we first. Dr. See- Kevorkian, though, was doing what the person wanted. Yeah. OK, sorry. So Marilyn Manson, I can't think of a, of a Hannibal yeah. Lecter. But the thing that is so important is. She says, this isn't your fault. Clink, and then yeah. kills him. But there's then... more to it than that because he's laying there and she comes in. I mean, he's in a strange place, right? He doesn't Hello? know. Her, and he's in this little weird makeshift clinic. She comes in and pours him some water, brings him the water. You know, not a big deal. Um, yeah, she sits down and he asks if everyone is okay. And she says, I don't think so. And then he starts to freak out and she looks at him and then she kisses him on the lips like this, not super passionate, but it was a charged kiss. And then she says, this isn't your fault. And you're like, this, what are you talking about? His last thought is like, what? And then she stabs him. She goes up underneath and Gets his tongue. I know. I'm like, and it's with, it looked like it was like with the end of a file, like yeah. a file shank, like a wood file shank. And I'm just like, she just looks at him and he's, you know, and he dies. And I'm like, we don't know what she means at this point. By and, and in some cases, we fault. still don't know what she means. No, I mean, I mean, I mean like, we have an idea and that's it. Yeah, I mean, she has been 
the she's been a a, a real a very interesting character <laughs> to say the least. But yeah. you know, that said, now we get the people out of the Boy we get Ellis to Jade, right? Because but before Jade... that, there is one scene. There is one thing that I do want to talk about: the the fact that. Ellis is giving his respects at the grave. Yeah. And they're all going to get to go and help everybody. And they're like, you know, there's people in need. It's your father. He needs your help. Right. And then he thinks about it before he jumps in. And then he jumps in and they all run out there and they do their thing. And I love the when they meet Jade because he's so friggin' on whatever he's on. And you have a beautiful face too. The father Katri. Yeah. You're all so beautiful. He is tripping. He's so tripping. And then when Boyd comes up, just immediately handcuffs him to the car. Oh, I know. I love it. You know, and Christy's just treating him and he's just never seen a woman so beautiful as you before. Like, I don't know if I want what he is on, but it's nice that everyone. It's some good stuff, whatever it is. Yeah. but we're also leaving out something that's super important because Christy and Boyd are back at the RV. Boyd tells Christy that there's a little boy with his leg impaled inside. And Kenny yells, there's only 40 minutes of daylight left. And, you know, Boyd is trying to figure out with Christy, what are we going to do? And he's, can you do it in there? And then he pulls out the talisman. So he had picked the talisman up off of the floor from the Pratt house and put Correct. it in his pocket. And so he had the talisman with him. You know how you do something sometimes and you don't realize that this little thing that you did comes in handy later on. He didn't realize that he would be needing that talisman. He was probably just picking it up so he could keep inventory of it, you know? So she is, we're going to do it. I'll get the, you know, I'll get the kid freed, you know? And so Boyd brings Jim out to talk to Tabitha. And then Boyd tries to explain that, he tell Jim tells Tabitha about Ethan Boyd tries to explain that Tabitha and Julie need to go to town because the woods are not safe at night. And Boyd says he doesn't want to bury any more children. And hold on, I got some notes about that. The Oxford Arch. Um, Boyd has the talisman, blah, blah, blah. Um, She's going to, this whole thing is completely untried and Christy gets right to work on stabilizing Ethan. And that's when Boyd pulls Jim outside. And so they're sitting together and it's Jim, Boyd, Tabitha and Julie. And Boyd says the woods are not safe after dark. And Boyd tells Jim that he doesn't want to bury any more kids. Like that is a lot to say without any explanation. Absolutely. Boyd doesn't want to spend any time explaining because they don't have any time. And they've just, you know, this family's just been through a traumatic event that is not anywhere near being over. 
and Boyd drops those two bombs. He doesn't know what it means. He, they know that they were at a funeral today, but he doesn't know who the funeral was for. He sends Ellis to free Jade and get him back to town. And if he acts up to just knock out, you know, Ellis, you know, not Ellis, Jade. And Tabitha, when, you know, Boyd is saying, all right, Jim's going to stay here, but Tabitha and Julie have to go back to town. Tabitha says, my baby is in there. My baby's in there. I'm not going anywhere. And she calls, she says, you know, I am not leaving without Thomas. And this is another instance where she's not fully in the present, that she is still a grieving mother because Jim has to correct her. And so they leave with Kenny. Jim goes into the RV with Christy and not with Christy. Christy's already there with Boyd. And Jim goes and Christy has Jim come and stabilize Ethan's head. Ethan starts to seize as soon as she starts. Not She hasn't actually started, but she's getting ready to start to, you know, free Ethan. And as Ethan is seizing, he's Boy's holding looking out the window. Boy's Boy's, looking oh, wait a minute. Hold on a sec. One sec. Because he asked for the blanket from Jim when Jim got over at that end of the RV. So Jim just gives it to him. And Jim is holding on to Ethan. And Ethan is seizing. He sees the talisman in the window. And he's that looks weird. All right. So the woods aren't safe after dark. You ask for a blanket, you're hanging a talisman, and then you're hanging that window. I mean, that blanket across the windows. And Christy says, Christy is, Jim wants answers. Boyd doesn't have time to give answers because the light, you know, is going away. And Christy says, Are you, have you covered the windows yet? Have you covered the windows? And he looks out the window and sees them coming and then covers it over with the blanket. And then the shrieking starts and we're at the end of the episode. And he says, they're coming. Doesn't he say they're coming? I think, yeah, he says they're coming. And we get the scene from the outside and it's raining. Is your mic working? Yeah, we're fine. Oh, okay. I just saw you hitting it. So it's like pouring on the outside. And I'm like, I wonder if it was pouring for real or if they had brought in the sprinklers. But then we see the truck and it's barreling down the road and it goes over the spike strip. Which and- they just love to yell at each other about. <laughs> yeah. Dude, we don't have time for this. And then they're all kind of running and they're like, run as fast as you can. Don't stop for anybody. Yeah. And then it goes to black. Yeah. (laughs) It's scary, right? And I'm going to tell you, as a pilot episode, it it got me going. I mean. It got me going again. Oh, Tabitha says one more thing. (laughs) When she's sitting outside, she says, I don't trust these people. There's something really weird. 
Yeah. So that was in my foreshadowing um, list. But yeah. But that pilot just really stands up. I think, is it like three years since I've seen it? It might be. It might be. Um, yeah. Now, I, I do want to. Did you have any other thoughts about the episode until we get to music and other stuff? Let me just double check and make sure. Mr. Lou says when Toby comes in. Yeah, he, says, he is. I don't like him. Yeah, I don't like you. And the mess he made. Yeah. So it makes me wonder if whatever the voices are that communicate with Sarah might be communicating with him. So. I think that was all the notes that I had that are underlined. All the yeah. notes that are fit to print. Yeah. So right. I'm ready to move on to, oh, wait a minute. This is also what, and I didn't make this list, but I also want to try and create a timeline and a location for everybody as to when they arrived because we do get some clues along the way but the only things that we know right now are that the matthews family jade and toby arrive on this day and they're the last ones in right and that the matthews have an arizona plate and jade and toby have a new york plate and Christy and Kenny discuss Sarah and what is her Nathan, whether or not they also had a New York plate, but they settle on Boston. That is something else that I want to talk about. And we never mentioned Frank in the bar and how Tom also touched the talisman. I didn't want to leave him out. We love our yeah. read. We love our read. All right. Yeah. I think we're going to take another break just so that when we get back, we'll talk about music. And then there's another, I want to talk about the title a little bit more and then anything else that you want to wrap up with. Is that okay? Sure. Good. And we're back. Okay. And Let's start with the title. Okay. Song. The title. Okay. The title, title. of the show. No, All the right. title song. The series theme, All right. which on. is Sera. Okay, Sera. And it is covered by the Pixies. incredible, like, incomparable Pixies from Boston. And I just remember, and I've talked about it before, how I fell in love with them. I saw the Pixies at the Paradise Rock Club. On Com is it Com Ave? No, I don't think it's Com Ave. I can't think of the name of the street. I know if you pass Ellis the Rim Man, you have gone too far. At any rate, they played at the Paradise Rock Club, which you too played there. Like I think it was 1982, right before they blew up. And they mention it in Party Girl, I think, that they are there. But anyway, the Pixies is one of the quintessential 
not new wave, but oh God, what was that music that I just so loved? All of a sudden I'm drawing a total blank, but you know, they inspired bands like Nirvana and Black Francis was the lead singer. And then Joey Santiago was the lead guitarist and he was amazing. And then Kim Deal was also the bass player and she was vocals. She went on to found the band, The Breeders. And then Dave Levering was the drums, plays drums. But at any rate, looking through this song, why do you think, or what do you think? Why and what do you think this song means to the show? What is it trying to say to you? I mean, I think first off that anything is possible and that whether <laughs> after listening to both versions, the Doris Day and the, and the Pixies version, that I thought at first it was going to be Boyd and possibly Victor's uh, journey or maybe even Jim, but it could just be any, it could be all of their journeys. You know, it, I will say, you know, when you hear the Doris Day version, which we all probably grew up with, or yeah, the first my version, mother thinks that, yeah, Sarah, you know, brushing my hair in the morning, like right. the first and second grade, and giving me banana curls, and then smoking her cigarette behind me while she's drinking her coffee. <laughs> But the point being is the point being is you hear that and then you hear this version and they change the words just a little bit. And you're like, whoa, this is I mean, we didn't even realize it was the, you know, the Pixies. Uh, I know. I I feel so. And you grew up with it. I know. I feel so stupid. I never looked into it. And the thing is, it was never a secret that it was the Pixies. It was always right there in the credits. I just. Never, never bothered to look because you know why? And I told you this. I always fast forwarded through the introduction of the show, the opening credits, always. And I didn't start watching it, I think, until you said something about the drawings. And I'm like, oh, I remember drawings, but I don't know what you're talking about. And I went back and I watched it. But it, it's just. When Doris Day sings it, for me, it's full of hope and possibilities. And then listening to Black Francis sing it, his voice doesn't say that to me. And there's many covers of this song. Pink Martini has a cover. And yeah, they change the words, but it's... I think it's more about moving the different stanzas around and not singing them all or singing them in the same order. They move it to suit the message that they're trying to put out there. And this whole thing is que sera sera. To me, it just says what will be. That is the message of this song in reference to this show, which makes me feel hopeless. Meaning, 
I have no way to affect change on my situation. I'm trapped. That's what it said to me when I was looking at this. There's just whatever's going to happen is going to happen. You know, and to me, it just felt a little bit preordained. (laughs) Moving on, we got our first. Go ahead. Sorry. But I was going to say the other song that we need to really talk about is. We got to get out of this place. It's Correct. The last thing we ever do. Another song we grew up with. And it plays it. It plays kind of interestingly enough, because you think that when you first hear it, when the jukebox starts going off, oh, it's just kind of TV stuff. But no, in this place, the radio just goes off. And I it's just want to... It's the jukebox. I'm sorry. The jukebox. Because there's the other radio that all of a sudden they'll be well, static. We're gonna, yeah, we're not going to talk about that but yet. this song plays in the second scene of the show. Or right. the, the second vignette. Because we have Boyd with the bell. But then when they cut to the diner, when Sarah pushes it not pushes but ushers everyone out locks the door touches the talisman then the jukebox plays so looking at the lyrics it just goes i know everybody probably knows them but you probably don't actually if you read them it kind of makes sense in this dirty old part of the city city where the sun refuses to shine people tell me i'm not singing Go ahead. People tell me there there ain't no use in trying. Now, my girl, you're so young and pretty. And one thing I know is true. You'll be dead before your time is due. I know. Watch my daddy in bed a dying. Now, I mean, yes, it goes on. But that's kind of like the whole first scene. Yeah. What I did was I numbered all the lines just so I could break it apart a little bit. To me, line one in this dirty old part of the sea. By the way, there's 38 lines. I'm not going to talk about all 38. You sure? I'm sorry because it's only been an hour and a half. We're almost there. For a rewatch. I'm I'm almost done. I'm almost done too. It's just there's a lot of repetition, but... Line one in this dirty old part of the city. To me, the dirty old part of the city is often left behind. It's hidden away. It's forgotten and considered lost. So that's line one. Line three, people tell me there ain't no use in trying. To me, that's all about hopelessness of being trapped in Frumville. Line four. Now, my girl, you're so young and pretty. It doesn't matter who you are. Even the pretty girl dies, right? Line six, you'll be dead before your time is due. You'll die an inevitable, horrific death. Line seven and eight, watch my daddy in bed a dying. Watched his hair been turning gray. They're all there to die. It's the only way out is death. Line nine. He's been working and slaving his life away. Oh, yes, I know it. No matter what, there is no escape. 
Like death is the only escape. They can do anything they want, try anything they want. There is no way out. Lines 13, 14, 15. If it's the last thing we ever do, we got to get out of this place because girls, there's girl, there's a better place, a uh, better life for me and you. They must fight to survive and escape to the last breath, but they're not getting out. That's all it says to me. So lines 29 through 30, girl, there's a better life for me and you somewhere, baby. Some, somehow I know it, baby. We got to get out of this place. No matter the fault with the world, it is better than being trapped in Farmville. So basically, it's all about how they're trapped there and they're never getting out, ever. That is my conclusion. All right. We'll see. The last thing that we do want to talk about or I wanted to talk about was the title. Uh And... You know, speaking with the everyone that we've spoken to for the past year, you know, things don't happen for a reason. The the writers, the director, and the creators are all veterans, so they have a sense of history. Mm. You know, a long day's journey into night. What type all, of history are you talking about? Just all it's kinds of history. history. T- TV, play, whatever. I mean... You know, one of the greatest play, playwrights, Eugene O'Neill, that was his, the title, you know, okay. and well, journey in tonight. Yeah. And, you know, it, it has to deal, you know, it's a 20, 20th century American family, you know, based in, it's a single day in August of, of 1912. It's set in a cottage, a Monte Cristo cottage, similar to the colony house. Now, it's not Seaside, but it is in Connecticut. You know, there's four main characters, and you've got an older brother, their parents. You've got the characters in there, and the parents are blaming the two sons. So there is – there's a lot of bitterness and jealousy, and, you know, the bottom line, folks, is there is a lot to this show. And, you know, I'm going to go back. I mean, I haven't had a chance to go back and really do a deep dive on that because I can't remember the last time I saw it. But you may want to take a look at it because it may be a precursor or it may give us some little senses. I I know everybody loves to, you know, this explains everything. This explains everything. We don't have a clue. And it could be something as simple as going, as I said from the beginning, we're going back. We're going way back. And it, it, it could be an old trope, but well, we're going to have to find out. That being said, you have any other notes? No, I'm, I'm excited to go on to episode two. All right, folks. If you get a chance and you want to give us some comments, you can always email us at uh, fromcast. Oh, what is it? What's oh shoot! Wrong with I, me? I don't even know. I don't know. It's from epicspodcast at gmail dot com, and then you can also, if you want to, uh, send us some voicemail. You can always give it to us there, or you can always go to podcastica dot com and leave voicemail there. If you're there and you want to uh, listen to some of our other shows, 
I know I'm going to be doing, I just finished up Lokiverse. And then next week, we're going to be starting Echo once a week. It's a Marvel show with Kirk and Penny. I know that they're still doing a rewatch of The Walking Dead. I think uh, Daphne and Pink had just started back up with their season of Run For Your Lives. There is a lot of stuff going on, and we just wanted to make sure that you guys knew about it. That's our show, and my name is Alex. And I'm Lizzie. And we'll see you next week. Get you home. Let's go. Come on, get in your house. Let's go. Come on. <laughs>